You know, in our last session, we got, uh, if you look at your notes, we got under Roman numeral number seven, number, and we're starting with number two. We're talking about he is now Lord of our life. You know, Luke 9, 23, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And in Luke 14, 25, Jesus said, <clears throat> well, well, there were a great multitude following me and turned to them and said, if any man come to me and does not hate his own father and mother and brothers and sisters and wife and children, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's strange. You know, we know the Bible says even love your enemies, and yet he says here, hate your father and mother and your wife and children. They thoroughly understood in that day what the word hate meant. It meant it was not first. When Jesus says hate your father and mother, he doesn't mean hate as we know it today, but they thoroughly understood that in our day. Hate meant it is not first. Your mother and father, your wife, your children are not to be first in your life, but Jesus Christ is. So he is to be a Lord over all your relationships. He said, if any man comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, he's talking about relationships here. He has to be first over all of our relationships. And then we're to do his will, not our own. He said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then he says, so likewise, what, <coughs> whoever he be of you that forget, forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So three times in that passage, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. So the, now sometimes we see the word disciple used in the New Testament where it's only talking about a, a, a believer. But here, the way Jesus used it, it's those who are fully committed to him, and that's what he wants us to be. Now, <clears throat> Roman numeral number eight, Satan has set some traps for us. You know, Proverbs 117 says, Indeed, it is useless to set the baited net in the side of a bird. In other words, if you're trying to trap a bird or an animal, you don't let them sit there and watch you. And that's the way it is. Satan is setting a trap for you, and he's doing it while you're not watching because he doesn't want you to see the trap. And we know from 1 Peter 5, 8, we know this about Satan. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, uh, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So he is out to destroy you. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, when a man thinks he stands, be careful lest he fall. And so you might think, well, I'm okay. Be careful for that, because when you think you stand, you're like, you could be very likely to fall. Now, here's some things we know about Satan. One, he is a deceiver. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. <clears throat> but I fear, lest by any means, as Satan beguiled Eve in the garden so your minds could be corrupted from the simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. So Satan is a deceiver. He deceived Eve. And also we know he's a liar. John 8, 44, and I won't share the whole verse, but the 
latter part of it says, when he speaks, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a liar. He's going to lie to you. Remember, he lied to Eve. Uh, <clears throat> well, she said, well, God said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll die. And he said, you will not surely die. So he's a liar. He's always done that, and he'll lie to you. <clears throat> and so another thing about him, not only is he a, a deceiver and a liar, but, but he also blinds the minds of people. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost. He has blinded the minds of those which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. And that's in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. So although we know this about Satan, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he blinds people, but we're not ignorant of his devices. In other words, there's some things we know from the scriptures, and so we know he's going to try to do these things. In 2 Corinthians 2, 11, said, Lest Satan should get an advantage, an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know what he's going to try to do. And so I'm going to talk to you about some of the traps that we know Satan's going to try to set for us. That's Roman numeral number nine. One is making decisions without seeking God's will. Two of the very scary verses for me in the Bible one of them is Joshua 9, 14. God had told the children of Israel to drive out these wicked people. But when they got into the land, the Gibeonites came. They were their neighbors. They came and they said, look at our old wineskins. And when we left home, these were all fresh. And they lied to them. And it said the men of Israel, they looked at their provision and did not ask counsel of the Lord. Now, the implication is if they had asked the Lord, God would have told them they were being deceived. But they made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And not long after that, somebody attacked the Gibeonites. They had to go defend them. And if you read on through the scriptures, you find that the Gibeonites caused them tremendous problems. And later, five, I believe, of Saul's sons were killed because uh, they tried to break the covenant with the Gibeonite. And so that's a scary verse. It's always reminded me, before you make major decisions, you look at the circumstances, but you also better ask God because you can be deceived. <clears throat> and then another one is First Chronicles 21.1. It said, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Joab and some others said, David, don't number the people because it, I think it was an indication that David was trusting in numbers and warriors instead of God. But he went ahead and numbered those uh, soldiers, and as a result of it, God gave him a choice, and uh, the choice he took. And it cost 70,000 men their lives because David had made a mistake. And I just thought about it. Satan <coughs> moved David, you know. He stood up against Israel and he moved David to number Israel. And I thought, how can Satan move us to do things that are going to have bad consequences? So we need to be 
careful and be sure and pray. And we see from the example of Jesus. And by the way, let me give you two verses I think will help you in reading the Old Testament more than anything I know. And it's Romans 15.4. It's not on your sheet, so you may want to jot it down. Romans 15.4 and 1 Corinthians 10.11. Both of these say basically the same thing. The things that happened before were written down for our learning. These things happened to them, for example, and they're written for our learning. So when you read these examples in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament of what others did, you're to learn lessons for that. So for the example of Jesus when he was facing the cross, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So a great example from the life of Jesus. He told God what he wanted, but he said, Lord, if that's not your will, that's not what I want. And then there are a number of illustrations here from the life of David. Uh, I listed uh, quite a group of them. And then over in 1 Samuel 23, uh, <clears throat> then uh, David heard that the, the Philistines were coming to fight him. So verse, this is uh, 1 Samuel 23, 2. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Should I go attack the, the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack. And there's other illustrations here. All through, <coughs> David would hear of a certain thing, and he'd ask God, and God would tell him what to do. And God wants us to have those kinds of conversations with him. When we don't know what to do, that we go ask him. And then we have the scriptures that we can go to to see what God said about different situations. And so we are to pray and seek him. In Psalms 116, 1 and 2, it says, I love the Lord because he hears my prayer and my supplication. Because he has inclined his ear to me. And have you ever noticed some person that's hard of hearing or something and they kind of cup their ear? And that's the idea here. <clears throat> he says, I love the Lord because he hears my prayer and my supplication. Because he's inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'll call upon him as long as I live. And that ought to be our attitude. As long as we live, we're going to be crying out to the Lord and calling out to him. And Many of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now, another, another trap Satan will try to get you on is not forgiving others. Now, let me tell you, you're not going to go through life without some wrong being done to you. And some of you have had some hard blows in life. People have done you very, very wrong. But we must come to the point where we forgive. In Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. If anyone has a complaint against anyone, he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And when you look at what God's forgiven you, then we certainly ought to be able to forgive Anybody, because they will never, ever do to us where they don't deserve our forgiveness. Like, And maybe they don't deserve it, but we didn't deserve the forgiveness of Christ. And not only, 
look what he did for us. He forgave our sins and gave us eternal life. You know, there's a, a, a thing there. I, I jotted down an example from Corey Ten Boom. You know, she was a Jewish lady put in when uh, was put in a concentration camp with her sister Betty, cruelly treated. While they were in the concentration camp, her, her sister Betsy died. And years later, after the camp was liberated, uh, Corey Timboom traveled around the world sharing about the sufficiency of God, even in hard circumstances. And one day she was speaking in this church, and she looked out there, and she saw a, far, a guard, one of the German guards that had been so cruel to her. And so he came up after she spoke, and he stuck out his hand. He said, now I'm a believer. She said, the hardest thing I ever did in my life was to reach out. She said, I realized I had a decision to make, would reach out and take his hand and let him know that he was forgiven. And so <clears throat> forgiveness is something. If, if you go through life with unforgiveness, watch out. I remember when we were in <clears throat> Romania, excuse me, in Cambodia. We went to Tolsling, and that's a, a place there where many people were tortured uh, under Pol Pot. And I remember one of the uh, ladies there that we were talking to, she was so bitter because she had lost a number of her family members that had been killed. And she said, and Pol Pot is up in the north part of the country, and he's still free. And she was so bitter. And I began to talk with her. I said, let me tell you. She said, he got by with it. And I said, no, he didn't. You know, Romans 12, 19, God says, don't avenge yourself. Leave vengeance to me. I, I will repay, says the Lord. And so I says, he didn't get by with it. Someday he will face God. So we are not to take vengeance when people do us wrong. We are to forgive. Now, <clears throat> Another uh, big uh, trap of Satan for young people is thinking that sex outside of marriage is okay. And the Bible is very clear about that. Proverbs 6, 27 through 29, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Whoever goes into another man's wife, he said, will not be innocent. Then he goes on to say in the next two verses, in verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will receive, and his, his uh, <clears throat> plot will never be blotted out. And so we don't want to mess around with what God has said no about. And we know from Matthew 5, 27 through 28, where Jesus said, whoever, you know, if you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery with her already in his, your heart. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled is beautiful in marriage, but it's not to be used outside of marriage. In 2 Timothy 2, 22, now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, and love with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Now, another area I want to mention, because I don't think 
people talk to you a lot about that, and that's the dangers of alcohol. You know, in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says, Take care, lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I have liberty. I could go take a drink of wine. And, you know, I may could go have a glass of wine with a meal, and it may not affect me. But you don't know what your body chemistry is like. Now, I was working up in Colorado not long ago, and I heard a story about a pastor. And so after I came home, I called one of the BSU directors up there that was a member of that, had been a member of the church where that man was a pastor. And this, this is what happened. Here was a pastor. He had never drank in his life. And he was on a mission trip to Africa. And it was a long flight back. And he was having trouble sleeping on the plane. And he started talking to the guy sitting beside him. And the fellow said, well, why don't you just uh, have a glass of wine? said, it'll relax you and help you to sleep. And he thought, well, maybe that'd be okay. So he took a drink of wine. And he loved it. And he kept drinking and drinking and became an alcoholic. And the church fired him. You don't know what your body chemistry is like. Don't take a chance. And that, ha- that literally happened. Proverbs 14, 21, uh, Romans 14, 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, maybe I could take a drink of wine. It may not affect me. But a young Christian seeing me do that could think, well, it's okay to drink. He does. You know, nobody entered the university this fall anywhere planning to be an alcoholic. But what happens? They take a drink, and then pretty soon, maybe they can take it or leave it. But then the day comes when they cannot leave it. And so it's not worth the chance. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And then in Proverbs 23, 31, 32, it says, Don't look at the wine when it's red, when it gives its color to the cup, when it sparkles, when it goes down smoothly. At the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. So the best thing to do is just leave it alone. Now, here are two verses. They're very much alike. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Uh, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 6, 12. In 1 Chronicles 10, 22, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, I won't become addicted to something. Yeah, you can do it, but I'm not going to allow myself to become under the power of anything. In Psalms 101, 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I will not let it get its grip on me. So don't let anything get a grip on you where you become addicted to it. And then First Chronicles 10.23, all things are, uh, are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful. But all things do not edify. They don't build you up. And so drinking certainly doesn't do that. Now, a couple of statements here. 
You know, a lot of times around the university places, and you hear this on the news, alcoholism is a disease. No, it was a sin before it was ever a disease, okay? Now, I can't look at you, and I, I can't look at, here's Matt sitting over here. I can't look at Matt and say, Matt, I promise you, you'll never have cancer. I can't do that. But I can look at him and say, Matt, I promise you, if you never take a drink of alcohol, you'll never become an alcoholic. So that's just one of the things I've decided for my own life I don't want to mess with. <clears throat> now, another thing, another area is a big deal in our day, uh, live Satan, is that he's accepting what God hates in society regarding sexuality. You know, Genesis 1.27 said, God created man in his own image. In his own image created he them. Male and female he created them. And then he said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a help meet for him. And then he says in verse 24, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and there'll be one flesh. The next verse said they were both naked and were not ashamed. There's no shame in marriage. And so God designed us male and female. Exodus, or excuse me, Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. So much of what our society is pushing is abomination. I read recently of a lady, her son is, <coughs> is gay, and so, oh, she's accepting him. She loves to go to gay uh, uh, parties and go up and give guys a hug and all of that, and she's accepting that, and she doesn't realize she is accepting things that's going to lead her own son and a lot of these people straight to hell because God is very clear about that. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he talks about, the people will not inherit the kingdom of God, and homosexuals are one of them. And so God can change people. Paul said on one occasion, such were some of you. He can change people. <clears throat> but, you know, one of the problems in our day, uh, too, in Proverbs 14, 12, says there's a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So a lot of people are coming to accept that thing. Oh, that's okay. We've got to be inclusive. Well, no, that is wrong. We love people. It's not a matter of not loving people. But we ought to love them enough to try to help them come to know God rather than going the way they're going. And in Proverbs 30, verse 12, there is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet are not washed from their filthiness. Now, so what do we do? We proclaim deliverance in Jesus Christ. We love those people, but if we can, we won't let them know God can change you if you'll come to him. Another big area I think where Satan really gets into people's lives is a wrong understanding and use of money. Now, you know, I'm speaking primarily to college students, and so I know you don't have a lot, okay? Psalm 62.10 says, if, if riches increase. I mean, it's assuming you don't have any now, okay? If riches increase, set not your heart upon them, okay? Maybe you don't have them now, but if you ever do, don't set your heart upon them. And Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, 
He who loves silver or loves money will not be satisfied with money. Money itself is not to satisfy you in life. Remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. Thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. And thieves do not break through and steal. And in that day and time, you know, one of the ways you measured wealth was in clothes and fine clothes. And, of course, moths could make a mess of that. And, and their, their coins were just metal I've seen dug up in Israel, some old coins, and it's nothing but a piece of rust now. So rust can, could destroy those things. <clears throat> the stock market and other things can destroy them, as we've seen the last few days, too. So, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, lay not up, <clears throat> it says that, <clears throat> but godliness with contentment is, gate, is great gain. <clears throat> For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. God has promised to provide for us. And so money is not to be something that we worship. <clears throat> so let me mention, though, the Bible says five things about money. And a lot of times when you go to church, you hear one thing about money. That's about giving. But the Bible says five things about it. One, it talks about earning. Now, what do we know about earning? Well, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever you find to do, do it with your might. Okay, so we're to work hard. We know that. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not unto men. So we work. We do honorable work. In Daniel 6.4, the men kept trying to find some occasion against Daniel concerning his business but they could find an occasion or fault for as much as he was faithful David I mean Daniel was faithful in his work and we need to be very faithful in our work you know Luke 16 10 says he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much okay we need to be faithful even in the little things you know I, I heard of a girl one time working in a dress store and uh, when there weren't customers around, she'd go around and straighten the racks and make things look nice. And one of the other clerks said, why do you work so hard? The boss is not here. She said, oh, I work for a different boss. And she was a Christian. She was working unto the Lord. So whatever you do, do it heartily. And then it goes on to say in verse 12, if you have not been faithful with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And if you, in verse 11, if you've not been faithful with the little things, why would God entrust you true riches? If you won't be faithful in doing the little things, why would God trust you with greater things to do? So we want to be faithful. 2 Corinthians 8, 21, providing for things honest, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So we want to be honest, hard workers wherever we work. You know, in the Jeremiah 17, 11, it says, As a partridge sits on the eggs and hatches them not, so he that get his riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and is at his end shall be a fool. So here's a man, and if he makes money by doing things that are wrong, God said, You will leave those in the midst of your days and at your end will be a fool. You remember the Ponzi scheme 
by Modoff or whatever his name was and how he made all this money and now he's in prison. And so honesty, you work hard and you make money honestly. Another big thing the Bible talks about is saving. You know, you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He goes along one day and he finds this man all beat up. So he, he takes him, he dresses his wounds, and he takes him to an inn. And he says to the innkeeper, I want you to take care of this guy. Here's some money. You take care of him. I'm going on a trip. I come this way. The next time I come, if you have to spend more money on him, I'll pay you. Now, he couldn't have done that if he hadn't saved some money. So it's right to save. It's not wrong to save money, but you always save it with an open hand. Lord, I'm saving this money, but if you ever want to take some of it, you can certainly do that. But you, we ought to save uh, because there are things that, like if you own a car. One of these days, you're going to have to buy a new tire. Well, if you don't save money, you've got to put it on credit card. And that's, that's a bad, bad deal. So you want to save money. There's a danger of debt. Be careful about debt. You know, I had a man say one time, I think there are only three things that's ever legitimate to go into debt for. One is a house. Most people won't own a house unless you make monthly payments. And that's okay as long as you make those monthly payments. He said another may be insurance. If you're married, you got a baby, you want to, Get maybe some term insurance. It doesn't cost much, but if you die, you don't want your wife having to go work the next day. And he said the other thing is maybe education. Be careful about education, but sometimes if you have to have, you have to do that in order to go to school to increase your earning power in the future, do that. But be very careful because a lot of students get deeply in debt uh, as a result of their education. Another area is investing. Uh, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25, beginning with verse 14, he, about this man, and he goes on a journey, and he gives one of his servants five talents, and a talent was money. Let's say he gave him one guy, let's say he gave one guy $5,000, he gave another one like $3,000, another one $1,000, and he went on the journey, and he came back. The man had given 5000 came to him and said, I took what you gave me. I've invested it, now here's $10,000. He said, you good and faithful servant. The other guy, he given 3,000 came, he now had 6,000. You good and faithful servant. The last guy came and he said, well, I just didn't want to take a chance of losing, so I just buried it and here's your $1,000. He said, you wicked servant. He wants us to take what he gives us and do some things, invest it, and see, there, there are people today getting out of college with the kind of jobs, some of them, that if they really would invest in some things, by the time they're 50 years old, they could go to the mission field, they could pay their own way, they could do whatever they want to do the rest of their life. So one of the things you want to do is with your money, you make it, some of it, you've got to spend, and we'll talk about that later. We know a lot about spending. Uh, we're very familiar with that. But Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes every, war, every word, but the prudent man looks well to his going. Watch out for advertising. Somebody is coming to your door selling a vacuum cleaner. No, you don't do buy what somebody's selling. 
You need a vacuum cleaner. You research and see where's the best price you can get. So remember that. The simple believes every word. And that's why so much is people go into debt because they believe advertising. And advertising is for one reason, basically, make you discontent with what you have so you'll spend money. Okay? And so be careful about that. Proverbs 22, 3 says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. The simple goes on and suffers for it. Now, most people's money all their life is spent in two big areas. Uh, and one of them is housing. And one of the things I'd say to you, learn how to buy houses. I remember when our son and his wife had saved money. They saved $20,000. They were going to buy a $100,000 house. This was 20 years or so ago. And so in Houston, they were going to buy this $100,000 house. So uh, I said to him, son, are you going to get a 30-year note? He said, well, that's what we're talking to me about. I said, well, check and see what the difference is on an $80,000 loan between a 20-year a note and a 30-year note. And so he did, and it was about $80 and something. I said, if you can't make an $80 payment a month, I can. I can't give you $100,000, but I'll save you all at most by just making a simple payment. So if you can, get a, a shorter time note, like 15-year, 20 years. You know, many people in America, they live in a house about six or seven years, then they move, take out another 30-year note, do that again, and there are people up in their 60s and 70s, and they still owe 20 years on their house. You don't want to do that. And by the way, when you buy a house, <coughs> when you first get married, you don't want to buy the house you're going to have if you have four kids. Buy the smaller house that you need now. You build up equity. Later, you can sell it and build others. They found that the couple that goes and buys a house they think they made 10 years from now, they're making higher payments. They come out a whole lot less than the one buy what you need, build up equity, sell it, and later buy the bigger house that need it. So another area is cars. You know, I've never owned a new car in my life, never planned to. You don't need a new car necessarily. You know, <clears throat> it's amazing if you had to. I know a guy's just talking to him this week. <clears throat> he found a great car, really a good little car he can buy for $4,000. You know, you don't have to have a Spitfire right. You don't need to go spend $26,000 and make car payments. This is about a car. Buy a used car and pay cash. And if you'll do that, you're going to be a whole lot better off than the people. I, I talked to a lady one time in Dallas. She said, I started working when I was 18. She was 65, about to retire. She said, I have made a car payment every month of my working life. And I saw a study one time when <coughs> if, if that car dealer had taken that money that you invested it every month by the time you retired you would have had over two million dollars and so you don't want to make car payments buy a used car and pay cash there was a time in which we had a baby we had one car we had no money much <laughs> and we needed another car I didn't want to leave her home with the baby so I looked around I found this guy in Norman, and he liked to take old cars and paint them, fix them up. I bought that car for $400. I mean, it looked great. 
He said, don't ever drive it over 45 because it probably won't make it. And I looked between the house, the BSU center, the church, no place was a speed limit over 45. So I drove it for a long time. One day it died. I just got up, walked to work, told them come haul it off. Meantime, we'd save money for a car. It's amazing what you can do when you really need to. So watch out for spending too much of your money in life on houses and cars. Now, another area I want to talk about is uh, in the area of giving. And I, I don't have a whole lot of time to say about that. The Bible says a great deal about that. You know, the great passage, I guess if I had one, I'd want to leave with you, is 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 5. And it says that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. You don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. And so you want to realize that you want to lay up treasures in heaven and not treasures here on earth. And there are many, many verses here that will help you. So money is good basically for two things. It's good for meeting our needs. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, a man who does not provide for his own is worse than an unbeliever. But also it says in six, in 1 Timothy 6, 17, God's given us richly all things to enjoy. So it's okay to go to a good movie. It's okay to take a vacation. It's okay to spend some money on yourself, but you want to be careful and make sure that you're not just living up everything you make, all right? And so money is good for two things, meeting our needs, and then it's good for giving. Now, <clears throat> there's an illustration years ago of an old farmer, and he raises corn. And so he takes some of the corn, and when he harvests it, and he sells it, and he buys groceries. And he sells some of it and buys his wife a dress, and he buys some gas for his tractor. So he sells some of it, and then he feeds some of it to the chickens. So now he can have some eggs, and he has some chickens he can eat. And then he's got some pigs, so he feeds some of the corn to the pigs. So now he can have ham and eggs for breakfast. But he takes some of it, and he, gives to the, he goes to church, and he gives it to the Lord's work. And then he takes some of it, and he puts it in a gunny sack and ties up in the rafters of the barn where the mice can't get to it so he can plant it next fall. He's kept that for investing. And so those five things we, we can do with money. <clears throat> now, another area uh, where we get in trouble, and that is marrying unwisely. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Unless you want Satan for a father-in-law, you don't want to marry a non-Christian, okay? And so don't marry a person who's not a believer. And I would say to this, don't marry a person who's a Christian but is not growing. You know, a number of years ago here at the University of Oklahoma, a girl walks up the steps of BSU and she has an engagement ring and I, girls are bouncing around and hugging her. And after they left, I walked up to her and said, let me ask you a question. You're engaged. Is he a Christian? She said, well, I think so. I said, let me ask you another question. If, if you, does he go to church with you? 
She said, yeah, he'll go to church with me. I said, well, what if you went home one weekend? Would he get up and go to church without you? She said, no, he doesn't go when I don't go. I said, let me ask you another question. <clears throat> right now, he's kind of going in. I said, if guys were telling dirty jokes in the dorm, you think he'd join in? She said, oh, I know he would. said, his roommate told me the other day he told him a dirty joke. I said, so if God's up here, right now he's going in a circle. Sometimes he's going away from God, and sometimes it looks like he's going to God. But right now he's going in a circle. She said, yeah, that's a good description. I said, you know what you're supposed to be as a wife, according to Genesis 2.18? He made you a helper. Well, you don't know where you can help him or not because you don't know where he's going. Why don't you wait till he spins out of that circle and see which way he's going before you make a commitment to him? And see, that's what a lot of people do. Don't marry somebody that's not going to walk with Jesus either with you or without you, okay? <clears throat> that's an area where a lot of people get in trouble. Another area is thinking discipline is legalism. Like, for example, <clears throat> I try every day of my life to work on my verses. I keep my verse pack with me. I feel like I'm undressed if I don't have my verse pack. Uh, my new verses, I go over them every night. I don't go to bed till I do that. And like the other night, I, I was speaking here, and I get in, and, you know, last night I'd done two messages, and I get in, and I look over there, and it's, it's 11.18. You know, I'm tired, but just before that, I, I'm not going to bed from what I review my verses. Now, is that legal? Some people say, well, you're legalistic. No. That's not legalism. See, legalism is trying to earn favor with God by what you do or not do. Discipline is doing what you ought to do because you ought to do it. That's discipline. That's not legalism. I'm not trying to earn favor with God. He's not going to zap me if I don't. That's not the idea. And so discipline is crucial. Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. You can desire to be a person of God. But have nothing. The soul of the sluggard desires and have none, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Okay? And then the sluggard's always waiting for right circumstances. Well, after finals, I'll begin to work on my verses. Well, don't wait for ideal circumstances. They don't come. Proverbs 20, verse 4, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore he'll beg in harvest and have nothing. Many, many verses I could share with you. First Corinthians 9.27, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. Lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself would be a castaway. <laughs> now, Paul said, I am what I am, 1 Corinthians 15.10. I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Now notice, he said, I labor more abundantly all, yet not I, but the grace of God is with me. So it's not just us doing it alone. It's God helping us, and he will do that. Discipline is a work of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, he will lead you to be a disciplined person. And accountability is crucial. We want to have accountability with others. Proverbs 17, 7, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we want some accountability. But let me tell you, the greatest accountability there is is the ever-seeing eye of God. And if you can become God conscious, I'd encourage you to memorize some of these verses, like Psalms 139, 12. 
Even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and the light are alike to thee. Sometimes people do evil deeds at night because they think nobody will see them, but God sees. There are a number of other verses here in Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord? And in Psalms 94, 9. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? God sees everything about you. So don't think you can hide. And a lot of times, guys, you wouldn't bring a computer into a church and open it up and look at pornography, but you'll go hide in your room, and you're, you're working to the wrong audience. God sees, okay? <clears throat> now, some disciplines to help you. I just want to say briefly, because we'll talk about some of that later. Discipline of a quiet time. Every day spending time in the Word. And another great discipline is Scripture memory. And I'll be sharing a session on that. So every day you live, don't be too busy, too busy to read your Bible and pray. If you're too busy to read your Bible and pray every day, you're busier than God intended you to be. You need to change your priorities. Okay? Thank you.